Today on NLPS Ed Talks, we're talking with Lynn Brown. Uh, she is our manager of mental health and addictions here in the school district. We'll be talking about the legalization of cannabis, and we'll also be talking about maybe some tips for parents or people in the community out there. This is NLPS Ed Talks, a podcast brought to you by Nanaimo Ladysmith Public Schools. I'm Dale Burgos, the Executive Director of Communications, and I'll be sharing conversations with students, staff, and friends of the district. We'll learn, we'll laugh, we may cry, but most importantly, we'll share the unique stories of individuals that work and play in our school system. Nanaimo Ladysmith Public Schools is one of many school districts in British Columbia, Canada, and is centrally located in one of the most beautiful places in the world, Vancouver Island. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Lynn. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Dale. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you. This is um, this is now our, our, fourth, our fourth podcast for NLPS Ed Talk, so I'm very excited to uh, to have you here. Um, we're very excited to have you here in the district. I mean, you're you're here now. How long? Oh, a matter of weeks, maybe ten weeks. <laughs> ten weeks. There you go. And your title? What's the official title? So I am the manager for mental health and addictions, and I think the significant thing about that is it's a -a one-of-a-kind position in the province. Thank you for mentioning that. That was one of my questions. (laughs) I I had heard that when we brought you on board. Uh, Very proud to uh, be the only district out there to, to have somebody like you, and we're very happy to have you in particular as well. You've been a great addition to the staff here and, and in the building. So um, uh, thanks for agreeing to come and do the show today. So we'll talk a little bit about um, cannabis, the legalization of it here in Canada in, in a little bit, but let's talk a little bit about your history, some of your background. Uh, and, and this is the big reason why, of course, we have you here in the district and then having you here on the podcast because you would um, essentially be the person that we'd want to talk to uh, about the topic that we are speaking on today. So background, before you were in the district, where were you? Well, a long time ago, Dale, I worked in northern Alberta. My very first job was um, I held the contract to do the school counseling for five different schools. And I think that first career opportunity really laid the foundation for uh, understanding our folks today who have similar duties in our schools. I did that job for a number of years, and then I came to the island and was funded to start a adolescent Back in the day, we called them drug and alcohol counseling clinics, and the one in Nanaimo was called ADAPT. So I worked at ADAPT for 10 years, uh, working with those kids who uh, came to have difficulties with their substance use. I did that for 10 years, then got a master's degree and moved on to mental health. I did uh, 14 years of mental health clinical work with MCFD, Child and Youth Mental Health, and six of those were at the team leader level in Parksville. And then at the end, I also had the Aboriginal Child and Youth Mental Health team here in Nanaimo. After that, I moved on to Island Health, where I was manager for acute mental health at NRGH for the under-19s and managed the eating, pediatric eating disorders program, as well as child and adolescent psychiatry. Wow. Okay. I should ask for the brief version. <laughs> Sorry about that. That probably was the brief version, wasn't it? <laughs> I guess I'm really old. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, that, that's uh, great history. Wow. So every, from northern Alberta made your way over here. Are you from Alberta? Is that where you uh, grew Originally, uh, I was born and raised in Calgary, but spent my adolescence in Indonesia. So I uh, came back to Canada by way of Kingston at Queen's University and then moved my way west because the island was always the destination oh, in mind. So oh, I feel yes. very excited to be here and uh, particularly 
honored and uh, thrilled to be holding this position and being able to use my cumulative experience in a brand new position for School District 68. Wow, okay, so you're well-traveled as well. Uh, that was that was a goal for myself too. I, I wanted to be on the island. If it was going to be retirement or if I can find work, that was my goal. I came from the prairies, a little bit more, more east than you, but uh, Winnipeg. Wonderful. Born and raised, right? So excellent. Okay, let's get uh, let's get right into it here because we, we I, I want to get all the details out here. So uh, the legalization of cannabis in Canada and, um, and and what that means for uh, people here in the schools. I mean, this, this is what we're doing. We're talking about uh, education, of course, uh, but maybe some of the background here and maybe uh, about the legalization of cannabis and what that means for us. Well, uh, all of the current research would line up to assume that now that cannabis is legal, uh, the prevalence rates around users prior to legalization was somewhere in the 10, 11, 12 percent of the population. And now that it's legal, it's anticipated that there will be a threefold increase in the number of users of cannabis. Why that's relevant to us today is that uh, along with increased utilization rates, we assume that there will be increased capacity or access for students in School District 68 to get their hands on cannabis, that it'll be in homes, much like uh, kids steal from liquor cabinets, that there will be the opportunity for kids to uh, find cannabis at home or in the community more easily. Okay. Is that very much similar to what uh, the findings were in the United States? Were they were those states that had legalized? Yes. Okay. Um, what we are trying to do is learn from others who have gone before us. Good. So we've had um, evidence to suggest that there's increased access, but also increased, uh, there's other aspects of legalizing cannabis that we can learn, increased traffic issues, uh, increased, some increased uh, risk of psychosis, all kinds of different implications. Okay. I like that. Okay. Now let's let's focus a little bit on the district now. Now that you've been here, you said 10 weeks, matter of weeks, so uh, it, it seems like longer. <laughs> I think it might be longer, actually, now that I do the math. I'm not good at right. math. Oh, that's okay. Um, but you're good at this. I like that segue. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about what we do here in the district and, and in terms of uh, cannabis, in terms of education in, of cannabis, and, and so on and so forth. I'll let you take that away. Okay, so School District 68 has uh, employed a multi-pronged approach to the legalization of cannabis in terms of preparing for it and responding to it. At the adult level, we have uh, partnered with our Department of Health and Safety, our HR department, and WorkSafe BC to develop, uh, not curriculum, but information and guidelines for our adult staff. So one of the things we've done is um, provide some education for our leaders at School District 68 and clearly delineated what their responsibilities are in terms of um, ensuring that the staff who are interacting with our kids are fit for duty. So unlike alcohol, where we're um, able to predict, for example, somebody's level of impairment based on how recent it, their last drink was, cannabis proves to be a little bit more problematic. The dosage, uh, the, the consumer's body composition all uh, interact to make the uh, determination of fit for work a little bit more challenging. So for example, airline pilots have guidelines around what kind of time frame your last drink should be before you're tasked with flying a plane. Uh, it's not as straightforward with cannabis. So instead of looking at when was the last time you consumed any cannabis, we are employing the concept of fit for duty. 
So what we've done is we've implemented education and training for our leaders so that they are clear around their responsibility in their schools to be ensuring that everyone, right, everyone including bus drivers, landscapers, whatever the role is in our district, that all employees are showing up to work and are deemed fit for duty. Okay. You talked a little bit about how our leaders were, were are told or trained, rather. Uh, what sort of, like, what would they have been told or, or, or what would they be looking for? Uh, so they were brought together in a uh, large meeting and uh, we discussed uh, signs and symptoms of intoxication, as well as the expectation that it, it is often a peer um, responsibility so that if a uh, employee recognizes that someone else in the district and another employee is intoxicated or doesn't seem fit for duty, that they have a duty to bring that forward to the administration. Okay. So um, that information then was directed to be given to all staff. Uh, schools disseminate that information, as you know, through a variety of channels, and um, we move on from there. So much like intoxication from alcohol, right. basically everyone has a duty to ensure that our children are interacting with safe and sober employees. Great. Okay. That, that makes complete sense. Now. Um, before we get into what we do with our students, uh, that, that was staff, let's, let's get to students in just a second here, but let's talk a little bit about the, um, I, I guess, the legalization of it or what, uh, you know, when we, when we talk about the, the rules of legalization and, and um, perhaps, uh, you know, I'm not looking for complete details, but um, as, as a student or, and you talked a little bit about staff as well as, uh, you know, what are the legal limits or, or what would we be looking at um, in terms of, I guess, with, with students or with, uh, I guess the ages, right? There's there's that piece of it too. You know, what what are the ages that they are legal and, and so on and so forth. So the legalization lines up with alcohol. So there is no um, legislated use for anyone who's under 19. Um, but much like alcohol, we understand that um, adolescents are in a phase of experimentation and are curious about things like substances and their impact. So. Uh, we anticipate that despite laws, uh, guidelines dictating that kids should not have access, that likely they will come across that. Okay. All right. Now let's get into a little bit about what we do in the schools. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay. So um, one of the opportunities that I have as a supervisor of our child, youth, family support workers and our school counselors is to develop skills and abilities to respond to kids who are beginning to get into trouble with their substance use. So um, one of the things I've been doing is implementing what I would call core training with our child youth family support workers in a uh, focused intervention called motivational interviewing, which is a evidence-based approach to speaking to people who are engaging in problematic behavior who may need a change. So we uh, meet once a month all together, and we are rolling out these actual tasks and approaches that are proven to be effective when folks are engaging in something that maybe they're not even sure that they want to change. So how do we increase uh, somebody's interest and motivation to make a change? How do we highlight that the behavior has some negative consequences? And how do we work with them until they're in a position where they're actually ready to go and receive help? So this aspect of internal response to people who are having problematic behavior 
quote-unquote warms them up and gets them ready for a service which might be outside of our school such as discovery youth and family substance use services which is a free service uh, funded through island health which is a clinic downtown on Cavan street so our idea is let's get those kids who are struggling who are uh, showing up in our schools let's get them attached to an internal resource somebody who can see them easily and in a variety of domains and then once uh, they are ready for something more intensive or in-depth we can do what we call a warm handover to our partners at Island Health. Okay all right now I want to touch a little bit about the um uh, some of the awareness campaigns that we're seeing on TV or hearing on the radio right now where, where they, they talk a little bit about them, maybe a little bit about the myths or the misconceptions of the use of cannabis. And I'm wondering if there's maybe some stats or something that um, that we maybe would be able to share with people out there in terms of uh, the use of, of cannabis, for example, with, with youths. You know, I don't have uh, direct uh, statistics about this, but what we do know is who we're talking about. And right. what we're talking about is a creature that is in a um, curious phase of development whose brains are different than adult brains and who are geared towards novel experiences, perhaps escaping stress, and looking for um, new experiences to manage their lives and they're under constant development. So someone who you might be interacting with at a grade 11 level is actually quite a bit of a different person than they were in grade nine. So what we're hoping to do is be able to access those guys as they proceed through their adolescence, through the helpers in the school, and be able to address concerns as they arise. I think there are two uh, ideas that make cannabis kind of a compelling point for us to focus on at School District 68. One of them is the fact that uh, I am hearing that many parents are learning about cannabis and its impact from their children. And we want to be an alternate source of information for parents. One thing that we do know for sure is that the research is showing that cannabis has a different impact on the adolescent brain than it does on the adult brain. Brains are in constant development up until the age of 25. The introduction of cannabis to a developing brain has serious consequences, whereas an adult user may experience fewer ramifications. Now, um, let's move on. Uh, I mean, if, you, if you've got anything else, I'd, I'd like to maybe ask uh, something that we can maybe pass on with the parents. Are there some tips out there, or, or, or what would you have that we could share? Well, I think that parents hold a unique opportunity to be effective partners in their child's development, and this topic around cannabis is no different than any other topic that they might be interested in, in terms of sexual health or what have you. So um, I think that there can be quite a bit of fear around the fact that cannabis is legalized, and there's certainly um, lots of media exposure around things like the opioid crisis. And I think it's important that people have a realistic understanding of level of risk. So I was at an event actually yesterday with somebody who is, their position is funded through the opioid crisis in Canada. And I asked her, how many young people are actually dying of fentanyl or opioid overdoses in BC? And last year, the entire province had 24. So I think that we need to be tempered in our response to some of the uh, concerns that are out there, but also uh, be 
purposeful and mindful about how are we interacting with kids and to what end? What is our hope that our interaction will lead to with these kids? So for let me give you an example. I think that it is incredibly tempting for a parent to think that the, their responsibility for making sure that their child is safe around cannabis is to conduct things like maybe a backpack search or read their text messages or look in the, throughout their bedroom or something like that. And I guess today what I would like to suggest is although the temptation to behave like a police officer is understandable and can lead to kind of a false sense of security, that those types of behaviors run the risk of damaging the relationship between parents and their kids. And what I would suggest instead of that approach is to focus on the nature of the relationship. You know, back in the day, we used to say things like, um, it's important that you have quality time over quantity of time. And nowadays, actually, we're looking at quantity of time. So what are you actually doing with your kids? Um, how are you moving away from screen time? How are you being a presence showing up in their life in a supportive, collaborative manner, as opposed to uh, the person who has the power or the ability to um, investigate or behave like a police officer? So we know that people change uh, problematic behavior based on relationship and substance use is no different. So what we would suggest is partnering, understanding the child's or the student's perspective around what's the role that the substance is uh, performing in their life and then um, exploring consequences to those decisions. Once the kind of downside or the consequences are determined, then we have an opportunity to move towards action. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yes. Thanks for sharing that. And I mean, this is, of course, you after after many years of working in this industry. I mean, this this isn't just somebody who's just saying something. I mean, you you have some history behind you on 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 the statistics or, or the the uh, historical pieces on you know what works best with um, working with uh, uh, working with people out there. Now, um, parents. I mean, a lot of parents, this may be new for them, and, and how would they approach, and, and like you were saying, it, um, uh, you know, trying to get that time with their child, and how, how would you even come up and, and, and start a conversation, those, those types of things. Now, um, in, in hearing and in talking with you earlier, there's been, uh, or rather, there are supports out there for parents, and I'm wondering if you can maybe share some of those. Uh, there's definitely supports for parents. Um, and before I talk about the partners that we have in our community, I just want to highlight a couple other ideas sure. around some parenting approaches. I think one of the things that keeps parents um, in the position of not discussing drugs is this concept that they need to somehow somehow have expert knowledge about that drug. So there's some concern, do I really know what um, all the different ways of smoking cannabis or consuming cannabis, I don't know all of them, I don't really wanna learn it. What if the student or the child asks me something that I don't know the answer to? And I really uh, would support folks in trying to move away from this onus of responsibility that they be experts in the uh, understanding of all aspects of drug use. And instead of focusing on the drug use, move more away to what is the role that the behavior is having in the child's life. So for example, you know, if there is experimentation going on, what makes the experimentation interesting? Is it because all other aspects of novel experiences have been 
uh, explored? Or could we think about other ways to bring novel experiences into the youth's life? How do we get move away from screen time? Maybe we need to explore other avenues where we can get the adrenaline, the dopamine, the excitement going and uh, basically move to something that's much more pro-social and healthy. Does that make sense that for makes you? makes sense as well. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, did we miss anything else maybe? Um, I think that once folks are interested in this approach and would uh, be interested in pursuing more coaching around this, there's a great team downtown that have provincially funded education and training in this approach. And the approach really is emotion-focused family therapy. And it's really about co getting on side with parents, uh, coaching them on how to have difficult conversations with their kids. Uh, the beautiful thing about discovery is that uh, parents can engage with that service even if their child is not interested in receiving help. So it can be uh, parents phoning on their own, doing an intake over the telephone, and receiving consultation and coaching in how to approach their children even if the child says, no thanks, I'm not interested in counseling. So they have, a, they have a phone number that uh, is their way of receiving new clients and they are at 250-739-5790. And lovely group of people ready to receive your interest, your calls. I love it. F fabulous. Now, are there, um, I mean, obviously you can find more uh, more online, right? So if we do have some of those, I will share those on the podcast uh, page. And, and if there's are any links, and I'll put this phone number on, the, on there as well, uh, parents can definitely look for that. Was there anything else that maybe you wanted to add to it, Lynn? I don't think so. I think for today, just to know that uh, we are aware, mm -hmm. we are responding, and that our response uh, tries to uh, take advantage of all the opportunities we have to interact with our students and our staff in all the different ways that they show up at School District 68. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lynn, for coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're very happy to have you here in the district. And like you said, we're you're, you're the only one like you out there. Well, I mean, we, you knew that already. But I've had that feedback, Dale, uh, more right. than once. Yeah, but we're very happy to have you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate that. This has been an episode of NLPS Ed Talks. Have yourself a great day. Thank you, Dale. Bye-bye.